0: Tonight's scripture comes from Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening. My name is Josh Hebman. I am the executive pastor at Grace. And most of you know that now because I've been here a couple of times in the last couple of months because some guy is a just royal slacker and refuses to get up and come into work. Not true. He would have done just about anything to be at work, and we are glad to have him here with us tonight. Uh, We are continuing in the Searching for Answers, Encountering Jesus series. And the reason that we designed this series the way we did was to give you all the opportunity to think about what it would be like to have a conversation with Jesus. Because we know that we all have questions for him. We want to know things about him and how he would respond in certain circumstances. And so we designed this series to sort of create that scenario where you could say, what would Jesus say to somebody who asked this question or had this question? So last week, Jason talked about belonging and he talked about the family of God being the place where we are supposed to belong. And tonight we are talking about uh, not belonging, but purpose. And there is some connection between belonging and purpose. Uh, there is, at least in our hearts, in our thoughts and feelings, this connection where we want to we say things like, I, I feel like my, my family, the people that I belong to, are people who uh, work with their hands, who are creative, who, who design things. And therefore, maybe my purpose is also to work with my hands and design things and do that. Uh, do that sort of work, or we want to say, I feel like I belong with people who are athletic and they run and they jump and they play and they do all those sorts of things, and that sort of gets me going, and that's what I want to do as well. And so we 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 kind of put purpose and belonging together, but <clears throat> that's not the purpose that I'm talking about tonight. What we're going to talk about tonight is the purpose that Jesus has for his disciples. The purpose, uh, whether you caught it or not, that Andrew just referenced when he read there from the end of Matthew. Um, And I've got some special added uh, downtown-only content for you tonight. Uh, Before we go any further, I need to tell you something about my past so that you can understand what exactly, uh, the the road I've come to on my purpose because hopefully uh, that'll help you to understand at the end, when we get to the end, uh, how you can understand your own purpose. But I need to tell you something about my work history Now maybe Brooks is getting a little nervous. Uh, My work history, maybe Jeff too, is varied. I have done just about everything. I have been gainfully employed in lots and lots of ways. Uh, My very first job was at a greenhouse, which I really disliked because greenhouse doors are about five foot nine, and my head stands somewhere around six foot two three, right? And so I was constantly hitting my head against those doors. Not my favorite job. Uh, And then I worked and worked in a commercial bakery for a couple uh, for about a year. Not a great job. Worked at Pizza Ranch for a while. Loved Pizza Ranch. That was wonderful. Uh, did concrete construction. That was not so wonderful, right? I, I, I was a tour guide for a while. Um, I was a RA in college. Drove a bus. Done all kinds of different things. And every new job, didn't matter what it was, I was wondering, is this my purpose? Every new job, I was thinking, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the thing that I was called to do. And I never actually felt like it was. Never, never really got me. Like, this is my purpose. And I went through uh, undergrad, went through grad school, and went through multiple jobs after grad school, and none of them seemed to say to me, yes, this is your purpose. I never felt fulfilled. Never felt like I was doing the thing I was supposed to be doing. Until I started working at Grace. But it's not because I started working at Grace. So remember that. I'm going to come back to that. We'll talk about that later. When I say purpose, you probably have some ideas on what I mean by purpose. Here's some of the things that the world means by purpose. Gandhi said that the main purpose of life is to live rightly, think rightly, act rightly. The soul must languish when we give our, all our thought to the body. That is a way that we can talk about purpose. That is a way that people talk about purpose. That it's just about thinking the right things having your head in the right space, focused on the right sort of moral principles. That's a way of talking about purpose. Do you have the right purpose in your life? And when, when somebody says that, they really mean, are you thinking about life the right way? John Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller, who's famous for being rich, basically, right? John D. Rockefeller said, singleness of purpose is one of the chief essentials for success in life no matter what may be one's aim. So he goes kind of a step in the other direction. He says, it really doesn't matter if you've got the right moral principles so long as you're focused, right? And if you ever met somebody who is famous for being rich, they're pretty focused, right? And that's kind of where they're, they're driven. So that is another way to talk about purpose. It's not how we often talk about purpose when we talk about ourselves, though. Here's how we talk about purpose. The purpose of life is to know yourself, love yourself, trust yourself, and be yourself, and notice I attribute this to you. In all honesty, here's where this comes from. I brought it with me. I didn't even bring it. See, this is downtown-only content. Those words are printed right here. Anybody recognize what this is? It's really tiny. You can't really see it from there. It used to dangle on the end of a tea bag. And I got tea a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, and this was dangling on there, the purpose of life. I thought, wow, my tea is telling me the purpose of life. Is to know myself and love myself and trust myself and be myself. My T is lying to me. Here's why my T is lying to me. Because if I am made by a creator, then that has nothing to do with a creator, right? God is nowhere in that statement. It's all about me. If I'm not made by a creator, if I am just dust, if, if uh, the naturalists are right, if the materialists are right and there's nothing in this world but dust, then that's a deception too, because I'm just dust and I'm here according to random chance and I'm gonna go away according to random chance. And there's no value in that. So there's no purpose there either. So that statement's a lie at least two ways, probably more. But that's the way the world wants to talk about purpose. That's the way we talk to ourselves about purpose. When I just told you about all those jobs, right? I was doing this. I was saying, man, I just need to know myself better. If I loved myself better, I would get into a better job. And so I was thinking about purpose in this way. We're not going to talk about purpose this way anymore. We're going to talk about how Jesus talks about purpose. So Jesus is going to do something. He's going to create a divine dichotomy. And what I mean by that simply is that divine uh, Jesus, right, being God, he's going to split all people up into one of two groups. So we're going to look at the two groups that Jesus splits all of the, the world into. And then we're going to talk about doubt because even though many of us here want to be disciples of Jesus, many of us here struggle with doubt. Doubting Jesus when we're afraid. um, Doubting God's goodness when things aren't working the way we want them to. All kinds of reasons why we might doubt. We're going to talk about doubt. And then we'll get back to that question of what is our purpose. All right, sound good? Everybody's on board so far? All right, let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. Uh, Thank you for giving us clear instruction and direction about purpose. Lord, you did not leave your disciples with nothing you've given them, uh, given us, many years of your life here to look at as a model, as an example. And I pray, Lord, that we would understand what you're teaching us. Make it clear, not from my words, Lord, but from your Holy Spirit in this place tonight. I pray it in your name. Amen. All right, so here's the divine dichotomy. Here's how God is going to split all people in the world up. We like to do this, yeah? We split people up. Uh, you guys know the, the joke, there are three kinds of people in the world, those who know math and those who don't. We're always splitting people up, right? We're always cutting people. We're saying men and women. We're saying Hawkeyes and Cyclones. Uh, We're saying short and tall. We're doing all this all the time. Here's how God does it. He says there's disciples and, wait for it, not disciples. That's it. You're either a disciple of Jesus or you're not. And there's no halfway. You can't be a kind of disciple. You either choose to follow him or you don't choose to follow him. And there's lots of ways that we uh, choose and don't choose on a daily basis, so we'll get into this a little bit more, but um, work with me. let's walk backwards through this passage. Uh, Matthew 28:19. Jesus says this. He says, "Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go therefore, he's talking to the 11 disciples for sure, because they were just called out a few verses ahead, but probably others. And so he says, make more disciples. And who, is he, who are they supposed to make disciples from? All peoples, all nations. So that's the only distinction that really matters here right now is either you're a disciple or you're not. So if you're not a disciple, we'll need, to, we'll need to talk about that, right? We'll have to talk about that later. What does it mean to not be a disciple? But if you are a disciple, here's your purpose. Make more disciples. That's what you're called to do. So in twenty eight seventeen. What about making more disciples? What about being a disciple? So let's say I put myself in that camp. Let's say I agree. Yes, I'm a disciple. 28.17 says this. Uh, It says that when they saw him, this is the disciples, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Worship sounds like the behavior of disciples. We're okay with that. We think uh, disciples would be people who worship. That makes sense. But doubt we don't want to be doubters. We don't like to doubt ourselves. So we don't like that description of disciples. But yet, here it is. It's talking about the disciples. These people who have come to see Jesus ascend into heaven, they're come to watch him go back to the Father. Some of them are doubting. So there's lots of ways this can look. If you're not a disciple, you can simply doubt. But more often than not, disciples, I'm sorry, people who are not disciples. They just don't believe or maybe even reject God. It's possible that they just say, I I don't want anything to do with you, God, right? I'm done with you. But for disciples, there's those who believe and those who believe and also doubt. That's a real thing. And Jesus is clear that this is not disqualifying. So let's read about some of these disciples who doubt. Let's read about what it looks like to be in this position because this is all of us sometimes. Peter is the prime example Right? Peter, I'm not going to turn here. You can turn here if you want to. Matthew 26. This is the end of uh, the relationship that Peter and Jesus have before Jesus dies. And this is Peter denying Jesus three times. Why does Peter deny Jesus? Does he cease to be a disciple in that moment? It's not that he's ceasing to be a disciple. Why is he, why is he denying Jesus? It's because he's afraid. Right? He's doubting. He is fearful for his life and for the life of probably his friends and family. It's not that he ceased to be a disciple. So you can still be a disciple and doubt. Peter does. And then Peter is eventually restored. At the end of John, we see this interchange between Jesus and Peter where uh, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me, one for each time that Peter denied him. And he says, yes, Lord, I love you, three times. And so Peter is reconciled. But Peter still struggles with doubt. Even after that, when he goes to the tomb, and later when um, he is confronted by Paul for readopting some of the Jewish ceremonial law, right? Peter continues to struggle with doubt. That's not disqualifying. It's just something that Peter struggles with. That's a part of his reality as a disciple. Um, let's do turn, though, to Luke chapter 15 and read about the family in the prodigal son parable. Because even though these are not disciples, right? The prodigal son parable, this is not Jesus saying, here are some of my disciples. These are godly men who are, or eventually <laughs> godly men who who are nevertheless in a relationship with God, and they serve as an example that is useful to us. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. And uh, just listen, because most of you have heard this story, but I want you to listen to it with ears to hear what it has to do with purpose and with doubt and with being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And then the father divided his property between his sons. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. The prodigal here is like a person who is not a disciple of Jesus, but somebody who has rejected him outright. He said to his father, I wish that you were dead. I wish that you would just give me your inheritance now so that I could have that now. And so the father does that. And then the son goes away and he squanders it. And this is like those who choose not to be Jesus' disciples. They take what gifts God has given them and they go away and they do whatever they will. And so at this point, the prodigal is not a disciple. He He's not representative of a disciple. He's just rejected God. He has walked away, right? Listen as the story continues in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The father is rightly understood as an example of God in this passage. He loves his son and he welcomes his son back in just as God graciously welcomes us. But the father is also a model for us if we are already disciples, but we have loved ones or we have cares or we have concerns that are weighing us down because the father believes amidst his doubt. The father is struggling with the thought that his son is dead. He thinks his son is dead. He thinks that his son has gone away and will not return. And that's some serious doubt to throw in between you and God, right? That your son, that your child would have died. But he hopes amidst that doubt. So this is another possibility for us. I think I've got him in the wrong order, but the father is another possibility for us to look at. Now let's look at the older brother, starting in verse 25. Now the older son was in the field, and he came and he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in, so the father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead, and he is alive, he was lost and is found. The older brother is like the disciple who doubts and then he lets it destroy him. Doubt does not have to be disqualifying. Jesus is calling us to believe amidst our doubt. He says there are disciples and not disciples, and if you are a disciple, I know that it is going to be difficult for you it 's difficult for lots of my followers. For Peter, for Mary, for Thomas, who's called what Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. He doubted, clearly, right? He had problems. And yet he was an apostle of Jesus who went on and preached the word to many other people. So Thomas says, I'm only going to believe if I get to put my hands in your side and touch the wounds on the hands. That's the only way I'll believe. He doubts. He struggles with it. Peter, Mary, others doubt. They struggle with it. It's not disqualifying, but it can't be our foundation. So if you are a disciple, and if you think, I don't know if I can be a disciple because I doubt, know that Scripture says the disciples doubted. This was a real thing for them. But it can't be their foundation. Instead, we're called to confess our sins, to believe, and be saved by grace through faith. That's the foundation. That's what we're supposed to have for our foundation as disciples of Jesus. So where is that showing up? It's in Jesus' purpose. I don't know how many of you are uh, going to remember a couple of weeks ago, but we, we talked uh, about Jesus' conversation with Pilate a couple of weeks ago. And in John eighteen thirty-seven, Jesus says very clearly, my purpose, the reason I came into the world, is to bear witness to the truth. That's why I'm here. And he goes further in John 6, and he says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, But the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. If we're disciples, we need to know that this is Jesus' purpose, because he is going to give us this purpose as well. Now, we're not going to do it exactly how he does it, But he is a good God, he is a good leader, and that he does the things that he asks us to do. That's what a good leader does. Good leader does the things that they ask you to do. Remember I told you I had lots of jobs? I had lots of managers who did not do the things they wanted me to do, right? They would point and they would say, go here and do this, and they would never do those things themselves. That's not Jesus. Jesus does exactly what he asks us to do. So here's what he does. He comes to bear witness to the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and then he gives his life up, right? That's what Jesus does. That's his purpose. What about those who aren't his disciples, though? We haven't talked much about them. If we're not his disciples, we should know what Jesus says about those who are not his disciples. What does he say about them? In Matthew 8, there is this record of Jesus talking to another of his disciples, and this man has been called by Jesus to follow him, and he says, Jesus, my father died, let me go bury my father. If you let me go bury my father, then I'll follow you. And Jesus says this kind of strange thing, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Is he talking about people in coffins burying other people in coffins? It's kind of a strange mental image. Is that what he's talking about? Who's the dead? Who are the dead people who are burying other dead people? It's the people who are not disciples. And if you have loved ones who are not disciples, this is a hard thing to hear. If you yourself are struggling with whether or not you want to follow Jesus, this is a hard thing to hear. But here's what he means by that. He says it in a different way here. In Matthew chapter 9, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says that those who are not his disciples are dead. He says that they're sick, that they're dying because they don't have life. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you are a disciple, you have life. If you are not a disciple, you don't. And this is a difficult thing for lots of us. Again, like I said, because we have friends, we have loved ones who are not disciples. So to think of them as already dead is a hard thing. But remember, I just told you that Jesus is a good God, a good leader, and that he gives his life up for them without them having to do a single thing. So, this is the foundation that he wants us to have. So, that's our purpose. And here it is in a nutshell in 28, 5 through 7, and in 19 through 20. I'm going to go back to Matthew 28 here. <laughs> In verses 5 through 7, we see the angel talking to Mary and the other Mary, Mary Magdalene and and, uh, the Mary that's with her at the tomb. The angel says to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. This is what a disciple does. We seek Jesus. We seek the, the crucified and risen Lord. He is not here for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. This is something else we do as disciples. We go and see the evidence that Jesus has laid out for us. His death and resurrection, all of his miracles, all of his teaching. We come and see what Jesus has done and what he has said. And then, verse 7 Go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Now they're going to tell other disciples, but again, this is what we should be doing with the gospel. So it goes on, right, in verses 19 and 20 Go therefore, this is Jesus now commissioning his disciples. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When Jesus gives these commands, again, he is giving the command to do the thing that he's just done. He's saying, if you are my disciples, then do what I have done. Live as I have lived. And don't just do it out of obligation, but do it in enjoyment. How many of you are familiar with the Westminster Confession? Anybody? The shorter catechism or the longer catechism? The very first question in this teaching tool that's designed to teach, uh, originally it was designed to teach people who couldn't read and write about the Scripture, right, the very first question is, what is the chief end of man? Or, what is man's purpose? Why are we here? And the answer in that teaching tool is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, that says nothing about disciples, but how are they the same thing? How does glorifying God have anything to do with discipleship? It's not too hard. Wrap your heads around it a second with me. If we're his disciples, that brings him glory. That's what he's asking us to do. He's not asking us to get our lives right so that we can glorify him. He's not asking us to do everything perfectly and have everything lined up, uh, to dress the right way, talk the right way, know the right people. He's asking us, to glorify him by being his disciples, by following after him, and then by observing his commands, and then by teaching others to do the same. And that brings enjoyment, and with him forever. He says he's with us to the end of this age, and he's with us always. He says, I don't lose any of those that God has given me, forever. So this is what he wants us to do, and this is for our enjoyment and for his. C.S. Lewis describes this dichotomy this way. He says, there are two kinds of people, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. And that's the difference between a disciple and not a disciple. I told you when I started that when I was uh, working all these different jobs over the course of 20 plus years, trying different things, thinking that I was going to find my purpose, that it was finally when I started working at Grace that I felt like I had, but it's not because of the job. It's because I started doing what Jesus had been asking me to do. I started being a disciple who made disciples. And that didn't take the job at Grace, but graciously, God allowed me to enjoy that transition in, at the same time. So as I came on staff at Grace, he allowed me to realize this, that I was seeking myself that I was looking to please myself, to trust myself, all of those things that my tea lied to me about, right? I should just do this right now. Don't trust your tea. And he was calling me to love him and to serve him. And when I started doing it, I realized my purpose. It was that easy. And I know that that sounds ridiculous and that sounds trite. And for those of you who are students or you are recently out of college or you are just into your careers you feel like that can't be all there is, right? I didn't spend how many years in school? I didn't spend how many years preparing and training just to have my purpose be to obey God? But it really is that simple. He can fulfill you in whatever your vocation is. And he does call us to many different vocations. And so it doesn't really matter where you're working. It doesn't really matter what you're doing. And whatever season of your life you're in, you can give everything to God. You can glorify God and enjoy him forever. You can say to him, your will be done. You can be a disciple or you cannot be. And the end thereof is death. So I want to invite you tonight um, to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to invite you to say, my purpose is to be a disciple of Jesus and to make other people disciples of Jesus. Can you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving us a good example, Lord, the best example in your life. You don't do uh, anything that we can't do because you've given us your Holy Spirit. Uh, And you say, in fact, that we will do greater things than what you did on earth because you have given us your Holy Spirit and that you are living inside of us. So help us not to be intimidated, Lord, by following after you and being your disciples, but help us to trust you, help us to live for you, And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to call others to do the same faithfully. Help us to realize our purpose. Our family uh, is yours, Lord. We belong in your family, and our purpose is to bring other people into that family. Help us to see that tonight, I pray in your name. Amen.